Grab your Bibles, please, and turn to Genesis chapter 2. We have in our study in these first two chapters of Genesis focused on the God of creation. Creation is magnificent, but it speaks to the God who is and who is glorious in all that he did. So I now want us to, to lose sight in everything we're looking at. We're seeing God, not just the work of God. So what we're going to look at this morning is at the end of chapter 2, the work of God in the goodness of God giving us the gift of marriage. And sometimes we don't always hold marriage in high regard in our culture. It gets laughed at, it gets ignored, or it gets mocked as if it's bad or it's a burden instead of the gift that it is. So we're going to see marriage and how God put it together in the beginning in Genesis 2. But to be able to understand the good gift of marriage, we have to really get in our head how he created Adam and how he created Eve in order for marriage to be the good gift. So the creation of Adam and Eve summarized first in 127. This is review. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Here's what I want you to see. He created them both in his image, male and female. But the act of creating them was significantly different. Here's how he created Adam in his image. Verse 7 of chapter 2. The Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. That is not how he creates Eve. He creates Adam from dust and breathes in him life. Eve comes as a result of a statement made by God in verse 18. Look at chapter 2, verse 18, and you get a declaration about the man he created, Adam, by God. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Those two statements establish how God creates Eve, why she creates Eve, and how marriage is intended to work. First, when he says it's not good for the man to be alone, that statement by God, that's not Adam saying, oh, I hate this, I'm alone. This is God saying this, not Adam. He says it's not good to be, for man to be alone for a first reason because he can't be fruitful and multiply by himself. That's just the practical reason. God made mankind, he told them, be fruitful and multiply, and Adam can't do that by himself. Second reason it's not good for man to be alone is that the nature and relationship of the triune God cannot be captured by man alone. When the scripture says he was created in his image, it's establishing that we were made to reflect who God is. Now watch, we just sang together, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. It requires mankind to be more than male to reflect a triune God. Second, within the triune God, there is 
roles. The Father, the head, the Son glorifies the Father, and the Spirit glorifies the Son. That relationship within the triune God is, cannot be captured by Adam alone. So God says it's not good for man, for the man to be alone. Now, he's not saying, watch you with me, he's not saying it's not good to be single. So some people go, see the Bible even says it's not good to be single. No, that's not what it says. Against that would be the fact that Jesus was single. And certainly we wouldn't say it was not good for Jesus to be single. And the Apostle Paul was single. In fact, the New Testament says there's a tremendous advantage to being single. If you're single, you can have undistracted, this is the language of 1 Corinthians 7, undistracted devotion to the kingdom of God as a single person that you can't when you're a married person. Because a married person, rightfully, God-glorifying, is distracted by meeting the needs of their spouse. So they can't have undistracted devotion to the kingdom of God. Here's what I want you to hear. If you're single right now, be single for the purpose of the kingdom of God. Undistracted devotion. Because that's not usually how it goes down. When I talk to people who are single and they want to remain single, here's what I hear. Oh, there's stuff that I really want to do and, and life I really want to experience before I get tied down. Do you know what we just said right there? We just defined, designed uh, singleness to be for my purposes, not for the kingdom of God, and then defined marriage as something that's going to tie me up, tie me down, just going to rob me of life. So let, let me really live, and then, and then I'll get married and settle down. Isn't that funny, the stuff that we say, and maybe we say it because we heard it and we never really thought about it, or, or maybe we don't have a biblical view of singleness and marriage. Singleness for the kingdom of God. Marriage because it is an incredible gift phenomenal gift that God gave to us. So he says, it's not good for the man to be alone. And then second, he says, I will make a helper suitable for him. All this is groundwork for marriage, a helper suitable for him. Don't think helper as a derogatory label, a derogatory term towards the woman. It's not. In fact, the same Hebrew word used of the woman here, I'm going to make a Helper suitable is used of the Lord himself. Psalm 115, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. It's not derogatory at all. In fact, you know what God is saying? God's saying, as I am toward Israel, I'm going to create a woman for Adam. That's an incredible blessing. That is a gift, a helper suitable. And I love this. It's according to the opposite of him. 
When God creates Eve, even though Adam had been in his image, he didn't say, well, let me just make another man. He made somebody different and not just a little different, opposite, corresponding to him. And that is the good gift of God. When I was young and dumb and married, I would think, and my wife's right here, so I would think it would be so much easier if she was just more like me. God, why didn't you just replicate me? That would be better. Now, what was I? I was married, but young and dumb. Meaning, I, would it have been easier? Well, easier for my flesh, easier for me to do what I want to do, easier for me not to do things I didn't want to do. But what I've learned, and this sounds silly to say, but God is brilliant. Instead of saying, let me replicate Adam, he says, I'm going to create someone who's made in my likeness, but is going to correspond. To Adam. In other words, it's going to be opposite of him so that she will complete him. It's a complementary, not compliment with an eye like, wow, Adam, you have great biceps. <laughs> no, it's complementary. In other words, a completing. God in his brilliance doesn't replicate. He creates a complement, an opposite who Together now, this is the beauty of it, together, man and woman would together reveal more fully the image of God and the relationship within the triune God that man could not do alone. So he creates a suitable helper for Adam. And here's how it happens. So the Lord, verse 21, chapter 2, if you're there. Uh, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man who had been what? Sleeping. Hey, Adam, wake up. Got a surprise for you. And the man wakes up and goes, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is Adam going, this is good, God. This is better than another me. Like me, taken from me, but different than me. Now, here's an aside. At 18 years old... In college, a guy took this passage and said to me, Doug, this might seem weird, but a prayer I've prayed before the Lord is, Lord, as you put Adam asleep until Eve was ready, would you put me to sleep until you have someone ready for me so that I don't have to go looking the chase, but I would recognize 
Lord, you have someone ready for me. And then wake me up. Now that might seem weird to you, but I'll tell you, it it was one of the greatest little pieces of advice given to me as an 18-year-old. So in college, instead of this, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where everybody's in the jungle looking for somebody. Adam's not out going, where is she, Lord? Where is she? I got to find her. No, he's like sleeping. And then when Eve was ready, hey, wake up. And so the byproduct for me, college student, I really had the opportunity to be a, a single who was undistracted in devotion to the Lord. And then when the Lord woke me up, that's when it got a little weird because I'm waking up and I think, I think Jackie's the one he's prepared for me. And she's like, and, and what's your name again? <laughs> maybe, maybe that's too far off the reservation for you. Or maybe a gift of the Lord this morning would be for you to go, God, I'm in this never-ending trying to do what only you can do put me to sleep wake me up and in the meantime grant me undistracted devotion to you so he wakes Adam up and Adam discovers that God has made a woman who is like him in the image of God and I know I keep coming back to that because that is absolutely critical we run off the rails with thinking as men we are more important when we lose sight of the fact that men are created in the image of God and women equally created in the image of God Paul excuse me Peter warns husbands in 1 Peter 3 show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. See, he's recognizing what will hinder our prayers is our pride, and it's prideful to think that I have as a man some higher standing with God than woman. That's not how it happened. She was created different than Adam, but she was equally created in the image of God. Paul puts it perfectly in my opinion when he says neither is woman independent of man nor is man independent of woman and then he plays it out for as the woman originates from the man now is that true or false true God fashioned Eve from Adam As the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman. True or false? Yeah, true. So who gets to be great? God. All things originate from God. See, I love this. The guy goes, hey, it begins with me. And the woman goes, yeah, but you don't exist without your mama. (laughs) Right? So who gets to stand on the higher step? God, this is the God of creation who said, I'm going to create a man in my image and then I'm going to create a woman completely different, like opposite of him, but in my image so that together people would see 
a more complete God than they'd see in just an Adam or just an Eve. So then he fashioned her from man. And I hope when you read the scriptures, you ask yourself questions like the question, why didn't he just grab some more dirt and make another woman? He could have made it the opposite. Do you know why he didn't grab more dirt? You know why he created Eve from Adam? He did so because he is establishing in humanity roles and, listen to this word, headship in humanity as there is in the Godhead. Paul captures it. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. See, what's interesting there is many believers would go, is God the head of Christ? Yes. Is Christ the head of man? Yes. Is man the head of woman? Yeah. Yeah. As if somehow if we say that, that's derogatory towards women. It's not. It's not any more derogatory towards ladies than it is towards Christ that he is under God. It's a brilliant theological argument that says within the Godhead, there's equality and roles. And within humanity, there's equality with roles. Don't fight it. See the brilliance of God in it. And so with a woman who is in the image of God, fashioned from him, now brought to him. And Adam like, yes, this is good. We get the first instructions towards marriage. Now, I wish we could do this. If I could like say for just a moment, forget everything you've ever heard about marriage. I know this is impossible, but just forget everything and just go back to the beginning where there's a man and a woman who are like, hey, hey, <laughs> I hadn't seen you before. I hadn't seen you before. You're different than me. You're different than me. It's like all brand new. And God gets to speak and define what this new relationship is going to be. If we could forget everything and and just hear what God says right now, we'd be so much better off. Because here's what he says. For this reason, and by the way, Jesus in Matthew 19, we'll see in a moment, affirms that this is God speaking in Genesis 2, 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And then he describes how this is so profoundly different. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So this new relationship... No hiding, no covering, no shame. But he says, here's how I want this to work. A man going to leave his father and his mother. He's going to be joined. Some of you have heard the expression leave and cleave. Be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So here's what the Lord is saying. These initial instructions for marriage. First, the man is commanded to live with his in-laws. 
Isn't that what it said? Come on now. Isn't that what it said? All right, let's check the text. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. Doesn't say anything about the wife leaving her father and mother. It just says the man is supposed to leave his father and mother and go to her house. Isn't that what it says? Well, it's kind of what it says, but it's not really what's happening here. How do you know? Well, number one, did Adam have a father and mother to leave? I mean, you can think about that. Adam, you leave your father. Uh, uh, hold on. Father? Uh, what is father? What is mother? <laughs> they didn't even have father or mother yet. So he, how could he do this? She didn't have, like, father and mother they'd go live with. <laughs> Just the two of them. And this is not on the screen because I want you to see it. Peek, take a peek at verse 16, chapter 2. The Lord God commanded, say it out loud, next two words with me. Okay, one more time. The Lord God, verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat from it you will surely die. Ah, so the man wasn't allowed to eat, but the woman was. No, that's not true either. What's happening here? God is speaking to the man because the man is the the God-ordained leader. He tells Adam, and it's his responsibility for Eve. And so he says, in this new relationship, a man shall leave. Folks, that's not saying a man's supposed to leave and then a woman doesn't need to leave. Everybody in here who has been seeing a relationship where the wife has not been willing to cut ties with mom and dad, how ugly that gets, and everybody's mad, and that just blows up. Well, it's right there in what? No. <laughs> it's not about husbands leaving and wives not leaving. It's about the man from instruction number one. As soon as they meet, God says, he's the leader. He's the leader. The man is the accountable leader. This is why in our prime marriage text in Ephesians 5, it says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's not demeaning. This is expressing the relationship within the Godhead. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Listen, friends. Headship of the man in the marriage is not a consequence of sin. It's the created order that God set forth. He created man and then from the man, woman. She equal in the image of God, but
but him as head, as Christ is his head, as God is his head. <laughs> it's the created order. Do you know how much marriage rises and falls on a man who will lead like Christ or if he doesn't? It's the first word on marriage, that the man is the accountable leader. Second, that marriage is the highest priority human relationship. More important than kids? Yes. Do, do we know? That's just not a, that's not an opinion. Why is the husband-wife relationship more important than the parent-child relationship? Because the scripture defines there's a time for the child to, say it with me, leave. <laughs> and there's never a time where God intends the husband-wife relationship to end. When Jesus is asked in Matthew 19, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered, Jesus says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning male made them male and female and said, so this is God speaking what we're reading in Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become flesh. What's that mean? Jesus interprets. So they are no longer two, but one. And what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Two become one and those, that one is never to become two again. Well, then why did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. You know what he's saying? He's gone. Because a husband or a wife fails to live according to a relationship as I designed it, either through infidelity sexual immorality or abandonment there's permission for divorce but what it's not what I had in mind what do you have in mind that marriage would be the lifelong relationship and because it's the lifelong relationship it is the highest priority human relationship now let me pause here because you know the scripture speaks a lot about speaking truth and grace so hear me please hear me right now God intends marriage to be for a lifetime and divorce is not an unpardonable sin in fact I know within this body there are folks who have divorced, who are divorced, and it's one of your deepest sorrows. 
You, you have said things like, I just never imagined my life this way. This is not what I thought would happen. So, sometimes that's been largely by someone else's doing. They were unfaithful. They abandoned. Sometimes it's been by your own doing. And sometimes it's hard to be in a church where we uphold marriage but grant grace for those who have experienced divorce. But that can be a hard place. Personal experience, I watched my mom divorced when I was 10. Shed so many tears at church, after church, because she felt like I am second-class citizen. I am tainted goods. Or in, to change the letter, I have a scarlet D on me. And Christian Family Chapel, hear me. God intends for marriage to last a lifetime. But he also redeems and restores and renews those, whether that divorce was, man, I wasn't a believer. <laughs> now I'm a believer. <laughs> or I was a believer and I made a huge mistake or I was a believer and the person I was married to turned out to be somebody completely different than I ever imagined. I mean, the stories are so varied. The point is this. The beauty and the grace of God has been demonstrated in this body through marriages that have lasted 50, 60, 70 years. And the beauty of the grace of God has been demonstrated in this body through beautiful second marriages or even a third marriage. One of the greatest joys of my life right now is to see my mom married to a man who loves the Lord and loves her. And that she doesn't wear, though she has often felt the shame, she doesn't wear a scarlet D. So there is grace and mercy in Christ, in renewal, without sacrificing. God wants it to last a lifetime. Jesus affirms when it happened in the garden, it was intended for life. And part of that lasting for life is that it was to be an exclusively intimate relationship. And the two will become one flesh. This scripture in Hebrews 13, marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. 
I don't need to make a case for how sexual sin is rampant in our culture. We know it. And it's a threat to marriage as God intended it. It's a threat to men and women who engage in physical intimacy that was intended to be between a man and a woman who are husband and wife and perverted in all sorts of ways. So hear me. We do uphold marriage as honorable at Christian Family Chapel. Honorable between a man and a woman. Honorable that it is the place and the only place where physical intimacy is intended to be expressed and experienced. It's the gift of God. I failed to say that it was between a, a husband and wife first hour. See, still so much of me, it's just, well, obviously, and obviously not obviously anymore. A gentleman asked me after first hour, so did you intentionally not say between a man and a woman so as not to uh, rock the boat? And I was like, oh, no. No, that would not be rocking the boat. That would be standing on solid biblical authority. Now, it may not be culturally popular, but we are far more committed to biblical authority than we are to cultural relevance. Biblical authority always has to, so it was a, a neglect. And I'm not trying to pick a fight here. I'm trying to stand on truth. This is, the point is not to pick a fight. The point is to say God designed marriage, and he made it very clear marriage didn't exist until there was a man and a, and a woman. And then it began. And so we hold it in honor. We hold it in honor as a man and a woman. We hold it in honor that the man is unapologetically the God-designed, God-ordained, accountable leader. We hold it in absolute honor that it is intended to be more important than any other human relationship. And we hold it in honor that by God's grace, it will be a relationship that lasts an entire life. And we hold it in honor that any form, whether it be physically or virtually that sexual desire is to be expressed within the context of the marriage relationship. And that when, when we hold on to those four truths that, that God began with in marriage, it will be everything God intended it to be. When we pervert it, when we change it, when we go our own way, we don't make it better. We ruin it. See, I was, I was so challenged as I went back to this text because much of my marriage theology doesn't come from Genesis 2. It's from other places in the scripture. And then I went, okay, I want to set all that aside and just go, well, what did God say here? And I want to start there. And I was so challenged by this question. Why these instructions? Why these four? Why did God say these? 
And then I had, and I don't know if this, a, a connecting of dots that never before in my understanding of Genesis 1 and 2. Watch. Threefold here. First, God created the world, formed it and filled it, and then he created us and he said, I want you to rule it and keep it. And then he planted a garden. He planted the garden. Did you know that? He planted the garden. Then he put Adam in it and he said, now I want you to rule it and I want you to keep it. And then he created Eve. And he said, here, I want you to be her accountable leader and to love her only and exclusively and priority above any other relationship. Now watch. What did he say about the world he created? It was, it was good. What, he, what was true about the garden that he created? It was good. What is true about marriage? Is it good or do you need to make it good? Is it good or do you need to make it good? It is good. And God says, I made this. I made her just the way I wanted her. I made you just the way I wanted you so that together you would display my glory. This is good. I just want you to keep it good. That's a huge difference. See, woe to my wife if God says to me, Doug, here's your wife, make it good. Would there be a difference between painting a masterpiece and keeping a masterpiece? Yeah, Rembrandt could paint a masterpiece. You couldn't, right? You ever laid in your back in the Sistine Chapel and, and looked at that and thought, how in the world? I could never do that. That's right, you couldn't. But if somebody gave you an original Rembrandt and said, hey, you couldn't make this, but I want you to keep it. You see the difference? I want you to keep it because nothing else like this. And I want you to be in charge. I want you to be giving it to your kids, tell them they're in charge. I want you to be in charge. And I want it to be more important than your 70-inch TV. As long as you live, I want you to keep that. See what I'm saying? God created a masterpiece called marriage, and he gives us these instructions that don't make it good. It it, it is good. He gives us these instructions. If if you can just kind of go with me here, he gives these and goes, hey, it's awesome. Just don't blow it. (laughs) Because, you know, Marriage doesn't reveal the glory of God. Guys, when you get passive and you go, eh, it's just easier to let her lead. She wants to anyway. Right? You may think that's easier. That's not what God intended. 
don't make your job. Don't make your kids. Don't make your career. Don't make your hobbies the most important thing in your life. This relationship is the most important thing in your life. And don't bail out just because it gets hard. Jackie didn't tell me this when we were dating, only after we were married. I knew they were concerned that I was a Yankee, her family. They're, they sent me a rebel flag after the first weekend visit. <laughs> after we got married, she said, they're a little concerned that you'd come from a divorced family. Because you've probably heard the statistics, if you come from a divorced family, you're more likely to be divorced. I had certainly heard those statistics too many times. Thankfully, by God's grace, what it did in my heart was create a resolve that I would not just be a statistic. That by his grace and power in my life, we could have a different relationship than my parents would have and frankly that her parents could have by his grace and power in our lives. And so the image for our marriage is simply this. It was a room with two doors. One came in from South Carolina and one came in from Pennsylvania. And once we decided we were going to stay in that room, we closed the doors. And when we closed the doors, the doorknobs had been removed. In other words, we were in a room where there was no getting out. And it's been sweet and perfect in that room every minute of it. No. (laughs) See, this this is why you take the doorknobs off. Because it's like, well, you used to and well, you... And it gets hard. And when it gets hard, what do you want to do? I'm out of here. And we made a simple resolve. The D word will not be part of any argument. And I don't mean damn, I mean divorce. Am I allowed to say it if I use it as a not? (laughs) No, seriously, that's maybe, well, moving along. Divorce was the word that we kept out of. We just said, Let, let's not, I'm leaving. So if it's hard right now for you, I want to encourage you. God is not against it. He's for you. Marriage is not a burden. It's a gift. And it's a gift that isn't always easy. Sometimes when it gets hard, you think, ah, oh, I chose poorly. No, marriage is about continuing to choose. Now, sometimes Jackie's like, oh, you take all the romance out of it. Just come on, where's the feeling? And and I go, our world has put so much romance into it so that when the romance doesn't feel like it's there, then people want to get out, and that's the problem. That's a great gift of the Lord, (laughs) but it's a lifelong relationship. So there's no doubt. There's no doubt that your spouse is hard to love. Right? Your spouse is hard to love. (laughs) Seriously. Anytime. Here's a good practice. Anytime you go, they're just driving me crazy. You you just walk to the bathroom. You look in the mirror and go, you are so hard to love. (laughs) 
just repeat what you're thinking about them and repeat it to yourself and it'll knock you off your holy horse, put you back on good ground to go. I can humbly and thankfully rejoice in my spouse because marriage is one of God's greatest gifts to his people. It's not a ball and chain. It's not like, oh, have fun before you get tied down, live a little, and then get married. You know, go live and then settle down. Stop that. When life was perfect on the planet, God gave Adam Eve. Never forget that. When life was perfect on the planet, marriage existed. And when things aren't going well, just ask yourself, which of these four is not happening? Because this is where it started. This is what, when God established it, this is what he said. And first instructions are valuable instructions. These are first instructions. To believe what God made is good and live in it. Would you bow with me? And just want to give you some opportunity to respond to the Lord first. If you are single right now, it might sound crazy, but would you at least consider inviting the Lord to put you to sleep? To rest in him by declaring, I don't have to be on a search. I'll wait for you as I am fully devoted to you, Lord. I'll trust that you'll wake me when you have someone for me. If you have experienced the sting of divorce, would you thank God for his grace and his mercy right now? And I invite you, ask the Lord to renew and to restore. A broken and a contrite heart, he doesn't despise, so where your own sin was a part of that, bring that to him and experience his cleansing, experience the joy of him taking all shame away. Lord, I would, I would ask right now in this moment where that has been the painful experience of some that, that you might grant them the experience of marriage as you intended. And for those of you who are currently married, would you just thank the Lord right now for the good gift of your spouse? Even the parts that drive you crazy. Just thank the Lord for how they complete you.
And would you, just there in the quietness of your seat, would you say, Lord, uh, by your grace for the rest of my life. Lord, we know we have an enemy who wants to kill and steal and destroy. He wants to destroy marriages. He's doing so by exploiting sexual sin in every way possible in our day. And I pray that there would be men and women of purity who would protect their heart and their eyes for the sake of not only your glory, but for the sake of their marriage, for the sake of protecting that which you have sanctified. And Lord, that we would go out with a fresh, renewed joy in this gift of a relationship and that our world would see not a marriage that just endures, not a marriage that just survives, but a marriage that thrives and causes people to see you, Lord, for all your greatness and all your glory. Would you find here at your body at CFC uh, men and women, singles and married, who hold marriage in honor of you, the creator. We thank you for it. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. God bless.